morning, good morning. Am I? I'm all good, aren't I? Well, um, really, uh, Claire just preached my whole sermon, so I think <laughs> I'll just pray a blessing over you and we'll just head off for morning tea. Sound good? No, we're going to continue today. We're in sync. It's, it's the Lord. I love it. Um, no, we, we will dive a little bit deeper into that. But really, yeah, that's the whole spirit behind it, which is amazing. Um, but we are in week seven, can you believe, of our Sermon on the Mount series. For those of you who've like, you know, been on this journey for the last six weeks, good on you. That is a triumph. Six weeks, guys, in the same passage. This is actually really like phenomenal. I love this. I love that we're doing this. So by week seven, you know, there's a bit of text that we're going to go through today, but you are, you know, you've made it for six weeks. You're used to this now, right? You, you're fine. You're good. You got it. So this morning, we're going to um, dive straight into Matthew chapter six, um, and we're going to be doing the last part of Matthew chapter six, 19 to 34. That's really where we're going to focus um, and as Pastor Nate has been talking about over the last few weeks, the Sermon of the Mount is Jesus's inauguration speech, right? He's, he's God made flesh, come to earth, and he's saying there's a new kingdom in town. And he is letting everyone know about it and what it looks like. And he's saying, hey, here, let me show you around. And so this is a continuation of that. So important for us as Christians, because if we want to live as people are part of God's kingdom, we need to know what, what we're dealing with, right? We need to know what it's all about. So we're going to read our passage of scripture this morning. I've got it there on the screens and I'm hoping that, okay, it looks all right. Sorry if at the back there you've got to squint a little bit, but we'll read it out and hopefully we can follow along. All right, so verse 19, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy. Thank you, Jesus, because moths are disgusting. And where thieves do not break in and steal. Seriously, moths are the worst. They've, they, so I hang out, sorry, just a little interlude. We hang our clothes outside to dry. And recently I've been finding moths just, just, you know, they'll land on the clothes and then without me knowing, I'll put everything in the laundry basket, bring it inside, and then I've got moths inside the house. And it's just, it, oh, I hate it. They're scary. I don't like it. So praise God that he deals with moths for us in heaven. I love that. All right, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence in this place. God, we thank you that we are already just filled with your love, God, from, from adoring you and worshipping you this morning, Lord God. But Father, I just pray that your presence would continue to remind us, God, that you are present, that you are here with us, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we are attentive to you. We want to hear what you have to say to us. And we pray that you would transform us like only you can. God, have your way this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I was studying this passage, getting ready to um, share with you this morning, God actually really reminded me and sort of drew some links between this passage of Scripture and our journey as a family and how we actually became uh, a family. Um, and so for those of you who don't know, our son Sam, he's adopted. And so there was this transition week that we had to go through in order for him to go from where he was with his foster parents into our home, into his family life. Um, and so I've got some pictures up on the screen just to show you a bit about what that looked like. So here, and the first one really is just to be like, he's so cute. And for those of you who, were, who have ever had the privilege of meeting Lammy, that's what he first looked like. He's ragged and tattered. Age has not been good to him, but that's what he looked like fresh. So there we go. Anyway, that's the first picture. That's just me bragging because my son's so cute. All right, moving on. So these next three photos are photos of myself and Sam bonding, attaching, doing all the transition things. Literally, this transition week is Nate and I, um, or you know, the adoptive parents, you bombard your foster family's home uh, for a good week, or sometimes it's two weeks, depending on how things are transitioning, and you get to learn how to care for your son or your daughter. So from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, you're at this other person's house just caring for your son or your daughter. You're learning how to feed them, you're learning how to play. We're reading a book there. You're learning how to bathe them. You're learning how to change their nappies. You're learning how to comfort them, soothe them, and put them down for their naps. That's really what this transition week is all about. There's lots of activity to it. But all of these activities come together to help you bond with your child. This is what it's all about. It's bonding, it's attachment. And this whole transition week, what it's about is that for Sam, he would be coming from an attachment with his foster family. So his foster mum would normally do all these things for him, right? For the first four months of his life, that's who was doing that for him. But then during this week, Sammy is learning how to attach to me and to Nate. And he's learning that as his mum, I'm able to care for him. I remember this moment where um, we sort of did a bit of debrief with the foster family at the end of the day, but there was this one particular day where Sam had begun to show signs that he was transitioning that attachment to me. Remember, he was hungry, he was kind of just sitting there in, in his spot, and um, foster mum and I, we were in the kitchen, and Sam started to make noises. A four-month-old, he couldn't talk or anything like that. It was just sort of, I think he just started to cry, really. But he started to look to me, 
And so I went and started to get his bottle ready. And all the while, while I was preparing his bottle, he had his eyes on me. He was glued on me. I was in the kitchen, so was his foster mum, but it was me that he was looking at. And at the end of the day, his foster mum said, do you realise what has happened today? Do you realise what was going on in that moment? Sammy was seeing that when it comes to being fed, he's now looking to you. He's now actually seeing you as his source of provision. He's seeing you as mum. And so that moment, that was such a great moment for me that day. I was like, yes, okay, things are beginning to happen because really when you sign up to be adoptive parents, you never know what kind of relationship you're going to have with your child. You really don't know. You don't know how well they're going to attach to you. You don't know how long that's going to take. You don't know what level of trust they're going to have in you. And so that moment that day filled me with such hope and comfort that when Sam transitions home to his actual home, that this could actually continue, that he would begin to see me as someone who would provide for him, see me as his mum and see Nate as his dad. And so that was such a precious moment and um, filled me with encouragement that for the rest of this time, okay, there's something that's going on here. There's this very vital attachment that's taking place and beginning to strengthen. And so God brought the memory back of this particular moment and this transition week to talk about this passage of Scripture today, that it's actually about the transition between our old sense of security, having you know, earthly treasures and possession and money as a sense of security, but actually transitioning that attachment to God. And so we're going to look in greater detail about what that looks like. So let's just look at that text again, verse 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Whether you either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I don't know whether when you've read this passage of scripture before, you've been a bit confused about the, I mean, we get right, it's sort of about money, it's about earthly treasure. There's the beginning part and then there's the end part. So there's verse 19 to 21 and then verse 24. But in the middle there, put it in bold, verse 22 and 23, it's kind of a bit random. Has anyone ever thought, like you're talking about money and then you're talking about eyes all of a sudden and lamps and light and darkness and things like that. But we know that the Bible was written very intelligently, right? Holy Spirit, super intelligent. Uh, It's not there by accident, but it's there for a reason, even though it seems a bit random. So we're going to look at that verse 22 to 23 and break that down a little bit. So the phrase, if the eye is healthy, is actually translated to generous, That phrase literally means generous. But in order to get a greater understanding of what that's all about, um, we actually need to look a little bit more into the unhealthy eye, what that means. And we find more context of that in Matthew chapter 20. So here, Jesus is working 
is teaching, sorry, about the kingdom through this parable about a landowner who hires workers throughout the day. Maybe you're a bit familiar with it. He basically goes into the town square, he hires workers from 9 a.m., 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and then he's done for the day. They work till about 6 o'clock. So at the end of this parable, the workers who were hired at the beginning of the day, they start to grumble, right, because they feel a little bit gypped. They're like, hmm should we really be paid the same as the 9 a.m. and the 5 p.m.? Because they'd actually come to a decision with the landowner as to what their pay would be, right? So it's already a sealed deal, but they're starting to kind of see that, like, hey, this is a little bit unfair here. So in verse 12 to 15 of chapter 20, it says this, These who were hired last worked only one day. This is them grumbling about it. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he, the landowner, answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Amen, Lord. Or are you envious because I am generous? So this envy here that the first lot of workers had because the last lot of workers were paid the same to them. This envy is what that unhealthy eye is all about. That's actually what Jesus, Jesus was teaching, commenting on when he mentioned unhealthy eye. Some translations say bad eye, good eye and bad eye, but this envy is what Jesus was talking about. So the unhealthy eye meant that the workers saw money as more desirable than the landowner's generosity his goodness to them. They valued uh, not being in his good graces, but they just valued the money. That's all they saw. And so coming back to Matthew chapter 6, we see that the healthy eye makes more sense when we know that the, what the unhealthy eye means. The point Jesus was making is that people in God's kingdom, and therefore people who get to walk in the light, we see the generosity of God as greater than money and earthly treasures and anything money can buy. That's what it actually means to live in God's kingdom. And as a result, he says, we get to walk in the light, you guys. It's so beautiful. So we're not envious of the rich. God's, people in God's kingdom, we're not envious of the rich because we see God as the ultimate rich king and we see that he is rich towards us. We value that, we desire that far more than money and earthly treasure. And that's what keeps us in good stead with walking in the light. And so Jesus uses this truth, so we've got to keep this truth in mind for the next part of the scripture. So we'll go into verse 25 now. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. I love that. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Or you can read that as Solomon in all his earthly treasure, Solomon with all of his money wasn't dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So here Jesus is beginning to address the, address the common anxieties of people, right? Food, clothing, just general worries about life. And yet he says this little thing where, you know, if you're just reading the passage, you can actually miss it, but there's something in his little question here. Jesus says, life is more, or is not life more, than food and the body more than clothes. What was he actually meaning here? So to understand this, we have to look at that context of treasure in heaven. So to a foodie like myself, I like food. We enjoy food. We like going on food adventures, right? So it's not hard for us to empathise with the, uh, the audience Jesus was talking to because they saw food as pleasure. Yes, it met their need, right? Without food, you kind of die eventually, right? Without food, without clothing, you die. But they also saw it as a pleasure. You see, the kind of hospitality you could give to people who came into your home, that would say something about you and what your status was and basically how generous you were to people. It actually, when they um, thought about losing these things or being anxious about these things, they weren't just anxious about food to sustain them. They were anxious about uh, it being a pleasure, it being an indulgence in their life. They were anxious about um, how they were seen in society. They were anxious about their status. And so what about clothing? Clothing was very similar as well. It was a lot about, um, you know, if you don't rug up in winter and the winters there were super cold, so if you had no clothing, death was definitely, you know, it was there. That was something that could happen. But clothing as well was something that said something about you. It gave you status in society. It was a pleasure and an indulgence. And so Jesus was trying to encourage them, because we just talked about how God's generosity, right, is the more desirable thing than money and possessions and and clothing and indulgent food. Jesus was highlighting to them, guys, there's more to life than, than these indulgences. There's more to your body than life here on earth. He was hinting at eternal life. And there's more to our bodies and clothing right now. There's so much more in the kingdom of God that matters than these earthly pleasures. But that's the pleasure side of thing of food and clothing, right? There's definitely the necessity side as well. And so when sometimes when I read this passage of scripture, I think, Jesus, you're being a little bit insensitive. What about the people in your audience that literally they needed food and clothing? Like this wasn't a, oh, don't worry, you know, it'll be okay. Jesus wasn't saying some kind of pithy statement or being insensitive to his audience. He was actually indicating to them, he was pointed to pointing to them the kind of king that whose kingdom had come. He was pointing to this king that was generous and good and was there to actually love them and and provide for them. That's what he was doing. He wasn't being, you know, just, oh, whatever, don't worry about it. He was saying, guys, there's a king that you can depend on. And the thing is, this was such a mindset shift for the people because what was their history? Do you remember the history of the Jews, right? They came from slavery. So they were used to dictators, ruling over them. They were used to being anxious. Anxiety was a normal part of the day. Anxiety was just a part of who they were as people. They were tasked to break their backs, to work super, super hard, not having any rest under Pharaoh when they lived in Egypt. And 
Pharaoh uh, capitalized on their anxiety. He grew his kingdom on the backs of their anxiety. That was their history. That's where they came from. And currently, when Jesus talks to this Jewish audience, so that would have happened to their ancestors, and Jewish people are amazing at storytelling, they would have told those stories to uh, you know, their children, and it would have come through the generations. But this audience that Jesus is talking about, they were under Roman rule, which wasn't much better. The Romans taxed them heavily and, and capitalised again off their anxiety. And so what Jesus was saying was so powerful and game-changing for them because he was saying, this God, this king of this kingdom that I, I represent, that I am here to inaugurate, this king uses his power to rid you of your anxiety. He doesn't want to use your anxiety. He doesn't want to use you just to build his kingdom. But he wants to rid you of your anxiety and allow you to live in freedom as his people. That's really what Jesus was saying. Can you see how beautiful that is? How, how oh my goodness, how profound that would have been for his people. And so that's what Jesus was saying. And so in hearing what he was saying to the audience here, I started to think about how we were created to rely completely on God, not on our earthly treasure, not on money and what money can buy, not on our relationships and what they can give us, but we were created solely to depend and trust in our God for provision of our life. But it takes an active responsibility on our part. This is what Jesus was talking about, about the whole unhealthy and healthy eye, that the way we see God matters so much in, in whether we're able to come under his provision. If we see him as generous, if we see him as good, and we regard him as more desirable than money and possessions and earthly treasures, then we're actually able to tap into his resource. We're actually able to come under his provision. I've lost my place. No, I haven't. <laughs> so there's responsibility on our part to actually, actually actively see God as good. We need to make those mental shifts in our, own, in our own hearts, in our own minds, and begin to see God for who he is. Otherwise, we live in darkness, church. That's what Jesus is teaching us. If we don't see God as more desirable than money and earthly possessions, we're actually living in darkness, We've missed the kingdom of light and the light that, that God actually makes available to us. And so coming back to this transition week with Sam, he had a big task on his little four-month-old hands. He needed to transition his trust from his foster mum to me. That was what he needed to do. I needed to rock up every day make sure that I was there, make sure that I was meeting his needs and doing all the tasks the best that I could so that he could begin to trust and say, hey, okay, this mum person that they keep talking about, uh, she's not too bad. I think I'm going to be able to trust her. I think I'm going to be able to, um, you know, depend on her. And, and I'm starting to see that this woman, yeah, I think she's all right. She can, she can begin to meet my needs. That's what he had to do and I had to rock up. It was a team effort. And that's what it is with us and God. God's there as king, provider, with provision, ready to go in his hands for us. But what do we need to do to tap into that? We need to actually shift how we see God. 
whenever anxieties, whenever we think about tomorrow, whenever we think about the money that we have, the possessions that we have, and whether we have enough or not for us and our families, the first thought we need to gravitate towards is, God, you are king. You have this kingdom full of possession, and I know I come under you. That's what the scripture is encouraging us to do. And so, what about us? Have we settled for anxiety in our life? Are we just actually okay with anxiety being right there knocking on our door every day of our life, saying, hey, get to work, you need to work, otherwise you're not going to survive? Do we have that anxious voice in our life and have we actually settled for that? Or do we want to kick that voice out and welcome a new voice of God's comfort, of his goodness, of his provision in our life? Have we begun to put pressure on ourselves that we actually <laughs> crumble under and, and you know, our bodies begin to suffer under because of the weight of responsibility that we carry on our shoulders? Is that something that you've been experiencing lately? If that's the case, that's an anxiety. That's a sign of anxiety. And that's something that you can take to God. Do we say we trust God with our lips? You know, sometimes in church, it's so easy to be like, yeah, I trust God with that. That's fine. I don't need somebody to pray for me or, you know, he's got that. That's fine. And yet we find ourselves doing the very actions and behaviours that counteract that profession of faith. Do we pick up the extra shifts that we actually don't, you know, we know we shouldn't be picking up, but we do anyway because anxiety is driving us. Is that something that we do? Do we begin to be stingy with the people with our world when, you know, Pastor Nate, I think, taught on either last week or a few weeks ago about how generosity is kind of our only option in the kingdom? We're generous people in the kingdom of God. Or have you begun to be stingy because you're like, I don't have enough and I don't know where my next meal, where my next paycheck, I don't know where all these things that I need, where that's going to come from. You know, is that something that's begun to creep into our lives? Or have we come to this place where we just look out for ourselves or we look out for the people who can give us things, you know? Like you make those strategic relationships and partnerships because you know you can get something from people. Have we begun to look out for ourselves? Or are we tired of that way of living and we actually want to come to this God who is generous? He is a generous king. You know, it's really difficult to make that mindset shift we live in a world, I'm literally reading this book about business right now, where the author read, uh, where the author wrote, sorry, become your own best friend because you can't betray yourself. Our world promotes that you can only depend on you, that your, like the responsibility for your provision is on your shoulders and your shoulders alone. And so you isolate yourself, you don't let anyone come close to you because you're like, i got to make it myself. This burden is on my shoulders alone. But I love that with the gospel, the good news of God is that we are welcomed into this kingdom, that we don't have provision riding on our shoulders, but we have a God who is ready and willing. He is good and generous, ready to provide for us. It's not on us and us alone. But I understand what it's like to go from the old ways, the old attachments that we've had in life, those things that are just so sure. I know I'm going to rock up to work. I'm going to get a paycheck on Thursday. And, you know, that's great. 
And so I understand that when we found stability with those things of literally finding our, our security, our financial security and money and, and possessions and things like that, it's difficult to make the transition. You know, what we found in adoption world is that it's when the, when the child, when the baby comes home without the security blanket of the foster mom, because the foster family doesn't follow you home, obviously. Like, you know, you transition to your home and, and that's you now as a family. Without the safety blanket or the security of the foster mum, that's when tensions are heightened. That's when the trust is really quite, um, that's when it's tested. And so for some of you, maybe you've actually been challenged to shift some of your attachments away from money and earthly treasure, but you found that that in-between place of shifting from there to God is really Oh, discomforting, you know, it's a nervous place to be in. It's a bit unsure. You're not either here or there. You're in this place in between. Can I tell you that what we saw through this transition period with, with us and Sam is that the more that I rocked up for him, the more that he placed his trust in me and we just kept doing it. It was just a cycle that was happening over time. What happens is that confidence begins to grow. That confidence that Sam had in me to provide for him, that grew. It didn't just stay as this nervous, sort of tense kind of place, but it grew and it strengthened and it got, um, we bonded and it got, that bond became stronger and stronger. And it's the same with us and God. When we begin to release our attachment from those things that have been security for us, yes, it feels nerve wracking. Yes, it feels like a step of faith right? But we're called to take steps of faith. As people of God, as people in His kingdom, we are a people of faith. And so faith is uncomfortable, yes. If faith was comfortable, the whole world would be saved, right? If it was easy to have faith, you know, this would all be good. It'd all be great. But because it's not, faith is a risk, right? We take risks. And taking that risk, when we begin to say, God, okay, before I go into that work meeting where my job could be on the line, God, I'm just going to come to you. I'm going to say, you are provider. No matter what happens in that meeting room, you are my provider. And so I know I'm going to be cared for. When it's before coming to, you know, that meeting with your spouse or that family member where you're talking about the budget for next year, it's saying, God, I know you are our provider. You look after us. You always have and you always will. It's it's in those moments, that's how we transition our attachment to God. Instead of freaking out, being anxious, worrying, it's shifting that focus and saying, God, I'm including you in this conversation at the beginning, not waiting till the anxiety sets in, but the very first port of call in my life as provider, it's going to be you. And that's what it looks like. I wanted to show you those pictures in the beginning there, just so you, you could see that attachment and bonding, it's broken down into tasks. Before, you know, we became a family through adoption, I just thought attaching and bonding was this nice mushy-gushy thing that like sort of just happened. Um, it was very emotional and blah, blah, blah. But adoption has taught me it could be so far from the truth. You can be a biological family and, and have that and be completely detached from one another. It's when you continue to do these tasks of attaching and bonding, that's how your attachment grows. And so it's the same with us and God. Taskify those moments where you're feeling anxious or worried, make sure you do something about it. 
whether that's praying to God on your way into work, whether it's praying, like I said, before you go into that meeting, whether it's doing something that tells you, that gets you into that mindset of, no, God knows me, God remembers me, I'm a part of his kingdom and he is provider over his kingdom and his people. Whatever it is you need to do, do it. Work out what your attachment tasks are. And like I said, the Bible is encouraging us here, whenever, whenever we think about life, money, possessions, whatever we need, the troubles of tomorrow, it's coming to God. It's saying, God, you are king and you are provider. Just to wrap this up, I might get the band to join me. That's cool. So verse 33 and 34, the end of this um, passage of Scripture, Jesus drives home this truth. He's like, guys, in a nutshell, this is what it is. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, when I thought about that verse, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well, I always put the emphasis on what I was doing. I was doing the seeking, right? That's what it was about. And I never really paid too much attention on the his kingdom and his righteousness, who I was actually seeking. But when Jesus talks about it here, what he's saying is that, guys, when you're anxious and worried, or even before that, whenever you're looking to tomorrow and you're figuring out what you need and, and you know that you have something that you need, seek first this kingdom. Remind yourself that God's kingdom is the richest kingdom we could ever be a part of. Remind yourself of the kind of kingdom you're a part of. And the second thing Jesus encouraged them to do, seek first God's righteousness. What does righteousness mean? God has a nature and a character. He is righteous and a part of that is that He is generous, He is loving, He is kind, He is caring, He is good. Those were the two things Jesus wanted to leave His audience with. He was saying, whenever you think about what you need, think about God's kingdom, what's available to you, Think about his righteousness, the fact that he wants to provide for his sons and daughters. Amen. Amen. So just a final story and then I'll get you to stand and we're going to pray. You see, Sam's transferring of attachment was done in three weeks, but it wasn't really done in three weeks. The three weeks was meeting him, having a week at his foster family, and then two weeks at home cocooning. Not seeing the world because Sam had to know that this is mum and dad, this is his home, and quite frankly, at that point, no one else and nothing else mattered. That was three weeks. But I'd be fooling myself, Nate would be fooling himself to think that after those three weeks, is done. He's completely trusting of us. He's completely understanding that we are provider and we're never gonna fail him. That doesn't happen over three weeks. For us, it took about nine months, really, as a family, for there to be the fear of the unknown, that fear was managed, 
and there was enough confidence that Sam had in us as his parents. And so for us, if you're in the grind right now, you, you've been transferring that attachment, you've been turning away from money and possession and earthly treasure and, and finding your security in relationships, you're doing the hard work of turning away from that and attaching to God, can I tell you, hang in there. It doesn't happen overnight, it takes time. But if you continue doing those attachment tasks, tasks that you set yourself about doing, you will find one day that you have faith that is large, faith that is big, faith in a God who provides, and you won't just know it, but you will have experienced it in your life. And what a beautiful testimony that would be to people, right? And so this morning, I want us to stand to our feet. And what I sense God actually really wanting to do today was to come and place His healing hand on those areas of our heart where we can't trust Him. And maybe it's because you've had maybe a similar beginning as Sam. You've had some traumatic events that have really knocked you for six and and have really made you question whether you can rely on God. Maybe you grew up in a home where your dad and your mum were really bad at managing finance. They were doing the best that they can, but they, you know, they always seem to maybe give so much to other people but have very little for you. That probably has an impact on your relationship with God. That would be something there in your ability to trust God. Maybe there have been people in your life who have meant to be those sources of provision so that you could have that healthy attachment, that understanding that I actually don't need to be anxious. But maybe some people in your life have said, no, you actually need to be anxious. You need to work hard. You need to slave away. You need to commit your life to work and work alone because otherwise you're going to go without You know, sometimes our enemy uses lies like these to keep us anxious, to keep us bound in these places of security that really is false security. But God is here today and He's wanting to speak to hearts. He's wanting to heal those moments of brokenness, those moments of distrust where that seed has been sown into your heart. He wants to remove that, remove those thorns And he wants to breathe afresh that fresh truth that he is your provider. If you've said yes to God, if you've given your life to him and you've said, God, I cannot save myself, but only you can save me. If you are a part of his kingdom, then he is here to say, I am your provider and in me you can trust. And so this morning, if that's you, I want you to place your hand over your heart. And we're going to believe that God is going to heal brokenness this morning and that He's going to deposit a fresh portion of faith for you to believe that He is your provider personally. Thank you, God. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word, that it is truth, that it is a lamp and a light to us, God. 
Father, we want to walk in your light. We don't want to walk in darkness, God, and have our dependence in places that just fade away, where moth and rust destroy. No, God, we don't want to put our security in earthly treasure or money and what that can buy. But God, we wanna place our security in You. Father, You are our treasure. You are the one that we desire. And God, I pray for every heart right now who has been hurt in the past, who've gone through events, Lord God, where distrust has crept in. God, I pray that You would bring Your comfort, Your encouragement this morning, God. Father, that You would declare afresh over their life that You are God and You are provider and You are worthy of trust. And God, I thank You that as they go from this place, Lord, and begin to pray and ask You for provision, God, first, when You become their first protocol, God, I thank You for the provision that's gonna come. God, I thank You for those things that You're gonna shift in their life, Father. And God, I thank You that Your steady stream of provision, Lord, is going to come to rid their anxiety. God, I thank You that You care. And Lord, You want Your people to live free and in the life that You died to give us. So God, I thank You right now that You're touching, You're healing, You're speaking to those hearts that are anxious, worried, God, we love your voice. We thank you for your voice. That you're calming the storm of anxiety right now. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yeah, band, can we go into that song? Church, we're going to sing Reckless Love, and I want you to declare it over yourself. I want you to bring to, mem to mind all those things that you need, all those things that you want to cry out to God for to provide for you. And I want you to sing this song over your life, over yourself. And I believe God's going to impart a fresh portion of faith into your heart. In Jesus' Name. Mountain you won't climb
God, we thank you that you are provider. Thank you for your love and what that means. God, it's not love that we really know much of here on this earth, God. But God, your love is perfect. So God, I thank you right now for the miracles that are being deposited. Father, every person who's lifted up a need to you, Lord God, I thank you for the miracle before the fact. Mm, Come on, church. If you've got those petitions, if you've got those things, why don't you come on, just lift them to God right now. We're going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, why don't you begin to thank Him. Say, God, I thank you. I thank you that you see my need. I thank you that you're my provider. I thank you that you're a good, loving Father. And you've got everything that I need in your hands and you're bringing that to me. God, I thank you that I can cast my anxieties on you because you care for me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Mm. And God, I declare your life afresh, that there would be a lightness to people's souls in this place. Going out of this place, Lord, into the weak, into the grind, into the the needs and the desires and all the things. God, I pray a lightness of soul, knowing that you care, that you provide in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen, church. Hey, if you'd like prayer for anything, if you are someone that lives with anxiety about what you need, I would love to spend some time praying with you this morning. Just come on up, say, hey, let's pray. And love to spend that time with you. If not, make your way to the foyer. I know Beck's prepared a lovely spread for us. Enjoy some fellowship and enjoy the lovely weather today. God bless you, church. Have a great Sunday. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.